What's up, guys? Welcome to the harbor. Um, my name is Heather, for those that haven't gotten the chance to meet yet. Super excited you're here tonight. Um, we are going to uh, continue in this series called Impossible, where we are looking at different miracles that Jesus did in the book of John. So before we jump in, one quick like, reminder for you guys, for the next two weeks, we are not meeting for the harbor, so don't show up on Sunday night for the next two weeks because nobody's gonna be here to let you in. Um, before we jump into the message and what God, uh, God's word has for us tonight, I'm gonna pray for us real quick. Father, I thank you for everything that you have brought through these doors tonight. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would illuminate truths, and may they, um, Lord, just sing into our hearts. God, I pray that this room would be distraction-free. God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be holy and completely from you, Lord. And it's my pray, amen. So if you are on social media, which I'm like 99.9% of y'all are, um, you have seen those memes, videos, pictures, all those things of things that are fake or not. You are like, man, I'm totally just blown away that that was Photoshopped or that something was done to that video to like alter or tweak it. So um, it's not what it seems to be. I remember I watched like a TikTok a few weeks ago where it was like that one where it's like the Q-tip that goes up the kid's face and like all of a sudden the ear like flops over. And I was so amazed when I saw that. But then the more that I watched it, I was like, oh, they're just playing that video in reverse. Like they just like started up on top of the ear and then that like popped up. Sorry if I just ruined that for anybody in here. Um, but real quick, I wanna show you guys a couple of photos and I want you to tell me if you think that these are real or fake. First photo. Is that a real, there's a mountain range and then the water up here appears to have iced over somehow? Is that real or fake? I'm hearing, I'm hearing some mixed reviews. This photo is actually real. There has been no alterations to this photo. Next one. This is National Geographic. Uh, these photographers were out filming, photoing, whatever in the wild. Uh, real or fake? Real, real, fake. All right, if you said real, you were wrong, I'm sorry. This was actually a photoshopped picture. Next one. Real or fake? Guys, I hate to break it to you, but this one is fake. I'm so sorry to bust y'all's bubble. Uh, next one. This one, real or fake? Guys, this is a real animal. Like, I, I don't understand it, but that is a real picture of a real animal. Uh, next one, maybe our last one. Oh, real or fake? Guys, this one is fake. I heard some of y'all like looking at the like photos and stuff or like whatever, checking out the shadows and stuff. This one is indeed fake. I think we have a picture somewhere of the Photoshop. Maybe it's coming, maybe it's not, there it is. Uh, people's Photoshop skills thoroughly amaze me. And then the last one, real or fake? Guys, this is a real life photo. Up has turned into a real life thing. I wanna be able to do this one day, totally mind blown. 
But every single day, as you guys are on social media or learning in school, like you are determining based on what you see, whether something is real or fake. And the story that we're gonna look at tonight, we see this argument, this kind of trial take place where uh, people are trying to determine what they have seen, whether it is real or fake. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, last time I had the opportunity to share, we looked in John chapter five, and we saw the story of Jesus healing a paralytic. How this man, he encountered Jesus, he felt the effects of encountering Jesus, uh, but ultimately he missed a really big opportunity because he walked away ultimately unchanged by Jesus. And what I love is like, God is just so cool in how he lines things out because I actually get to share with you a very similar story tonight, but it has a completely different ending. And so tonight we're gonna be in John chapter nine and we are gonna work our way quickly through this chapter um, to see what Jesus does uh, with a man that was born blind. So we're gonna start in uh, chapter nine, verse one. As he, meaning Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, uh, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Really quick, I'm gonna pause there. Um, Right out of the gate, we see the the disciples start this like theological debate with Jesus, seeing, you know, what caused this man to be where he was? They didn't have a heart of compassion. They were just looking at him as like a teaching lesson. And so they were asking, could this man somehow have like sinned while he was still in his mother's womb? Was it a result of his parents' sin? Thinking back to, there's a verse in Exodus, I think it's 37, that basically talks about like how children will have to pay like the punishment for a parent's sin and generation, like this whole thing. Um, And so that's probably like a verse that they were referencing in their head, but they wanted to know whose fault is it? This man was born blind. Surely something must have happened that would cause this man to be blind. And I think sometimes we have that same mentality. Like, have you ever seen a, which I'm sure you have if you've driven anywhere in this area, you see a homeless person that's on like the street corner or maybe in a shopping center somewhere and they have those signs up that's like homeless, help me. And I think a lot of times our first thought is, man, they must have made some really bad life decisions to end up where they are. Like a lot of times that's our go-to. That is, they must have done something wrong to earn where they're at right now. And, you know, not to say like, we have to be careful with this train of thought because yeah, like sometimes in John chapter five, we see where our actions and sin, like there is a correlation. Um, But we have to be very careful to not paint this picture of God as somebody that is vindictive and vengeful and somebody that is out to get you, that anytime you mess up or you screw up, God's coming after you, that he's gonna make you pay for what you've done. We have to be very careful not to paint this picture of God. There's a passage in Psalms 103, and I just want you to listen to the words as it describes the character of God. It says, starting in verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always try, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his child, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
Because of Jesus, we as believers do not have to live with this, this fear of, of our sin and, and the consequences that may come from it. Jesus took that punishment for us. God, now, does this give us a, a free clearance to go on and do whatever we want? Like, oh, Jesus is gonna forgive me for everything I do, so I'm gonna live it up and do what I want? No, Paul talks about this in Romans. He's like, don't go on and live your life and abuse grace. Don't do it. Um, so, but Jesus points out something very interesting in this passage that I think sometimes is really hard for us to accept. It's kind of like a hard pill for us to swallow. And Caleb talked about this last week, is that sometimes hardships are a part of God's plan for our life. First uh, Peter 4.19, it says, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to the faithful creator while doing what is good. Just like last week's story, sometimes God has us in difficult and hard circumstances, not out of spite or as a punishment for our sin, but because he wants us to, he wants to teach us, he wants to grow us, and he wants to use us. And so this man's blindness was in no way a result of some sin or some happenstance. Like, God was about to do something miraculous in this man's life. So, wanted to pause there, clarify that. Verse four. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming uh, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So real quick, Jesus is referring to um, the, the impending crucifixion. He is living life with this mindset that the cross is coming. He knows that the time is drawing near. And so he has this mission, this purpose that he is trying to live out while he is still on earth. And the cool thing is, is there's this one little word that he throws in and he says the word we. He says, he doesn't say I, he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. And it's really cool because he is inviting the disciples to be a part of what God is doing through him. And it's the same thing for us today. God is inviting us to be a part of the process, be a part of the things that he's doing. Uh, verse six, after he said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud from the saliva, spread the mud on his eyes, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, sure, um, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seen. Uh, I always like thought that that was a really gross thing for Jesus to do. Like the thought of spitting and making mud and then just wiping that on somebody's eyes. Um, and so it's interesting to see some of commentators like thoughts on this. Some commentators were like, uh, Jesus did this because it was the Sabbath and like making any form of like doing some form of work was breaking the Sabbath laws. And so Jesus was standing up to the religious leaders and others were like, well, there were other times where Jesus just spoke and blind people were healed. And so this was Jesus changing up his method so people didn't just focus on how he did it, but that they would choose to focus on who it was that was doing it. And so if you just imagine for a moment, this guy who just had mud wiped on his eyes and he's told, go to the pool. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't say like, go and you'll be healed. He just says, go. And so we see from the very beginning of this interaction with uh, Jesus that this man is, ex is showing faith. He is showing um, that he's trusting what Jesus has told him to do, even though he doesn't really know him. And so it's amazing that we see that um, after he goes and he washes his eyes that this man is healed. Verse eight, it says, his neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one and others were saying, no, it just looks like him. And the man kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? So these people that saw him every day were just shocked and amazed. Some people were saying, yes, this is who 
this was the same man and others were like, there's no possible way that's the same man. Because remember, he was born blind. Not that he had an injury that just like healed or anything like that. He was born blind. Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to the pool and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them, and I washed and now I can see. And once again, you know, we see Jesus because it was the Sabbath. He's causing this controversy with these Jewish leaders. Um, You know, they claim that he was breaking the law because it was a their man-made law. He wasn't breaking anything that, any laws that God had set in place. Um, But we see where the Pharisees begin to question and investigate what has just taken place. And so this blind man then tells the same story that he told all of those witnesses that saw him. Uh, Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. If y'all remember... What is the purpose of miracles? Jesus did miracles as a way of giving evidence that he is who he said he is. And so we now see where the miracle that's just taken place is causing people to question, even these religious leaders, he's creating division among them because they're like, wait a minute, is he actually who he said he was? Um, But we also see where there are others in this group that are like, they're, they don't even care. They see the evidence before them and they say, they're just looking for something that they can use against Jesus. They're looking for something that they can say, no, 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 like he's, he's a false prophet. He's not really who he says he is. Uh, verse 17, again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. They asked them, Is this your son, the one you say that was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But they didn't know how he now sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he can speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the Pharisees, they are calling into question the validity of everything that's just happened. They're thinking, okay, maybe if we can prove that he wasn't really born blind, then we can just throw everything out the window. They're like, okay, if it was, it was, it was an injury, an accident, a sickness, you know, it just, he, was, uh, he got better on his own, or maybe Jesus was pulling some type of trick and he just like switched out people. And so they're trying to call everything into question. So they bring in the parents, they ask him these two questions. Is this your son who was born blind and how can he now see? We see where they answer the first question honestly. They said, yes, this is our son who was born blind. But the second question, they answer fearfully. They said that, you go ask him. We, we can't speak for that because they were afraid. They didn't want any punishment that would be coming from the Jewish leaders. And if any of you have siblings in here, I'm sure that you are very familiar with this tactic that you love them, you don't wanna rat them out, but at the same time, you're not taking the fall for them. You're like, I love you, but you're on your own. And you kind of like skirt around those questions. And so this is kind of the same thing that we see these parents doing in this story. 
Uh, Verse 24, it says, so a second time they summoned the man who who was blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. But the one thing I do know is that I was blind and now I can see. This man right here, he isn't able to speak of the character of Jesus yet because he doesn't know him. He doesn't know him yet. And so he's like, look, I I can't say if he is a sinner or not, but what I can tell you is what I've experienced. What I can tell you is the thing that I have firsthand seen for myself is that I was born blind, but now I'm able to look at you. And so this is evidence that no matter how hard they tried to deny it, they couldn't because of this man's testimony. I think a lot of times students, like y'all ask like, well, how do I share my faith with my parents, my friends, the people that I love? Because you're like, I don't really know the Bible that well. I don't really know all those verses. And guys, you have a story. You have a testimony of the things that God has done in your life. And people can't dispute that. And so we see how this man is like setting a precedent for just using your own testimony as witness to who Jesus is. Uh, Verse 26. Then they asked him, um, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Guys, I love this man's response. Love it. He says, I already told you. And you didn't listen. He just straight up gets so sarcastic with him. It's one of my favorite responses from people anywhere in scripture. He said, why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Like he is just straight up fed up with these people. They keep asking him the same question over and over again. And he keeps giving them the same response. They're thinking, oh, maybe if we ask him again, he'll like trip up and change his story. Um, But he's like, oh, I get it. You just want to be his disciples too. Basically just being so sarcastic with them, um, knowing very well that that was not the case at all. Um, And then 28, they come back at him and they're like, they ridicule him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. So basically this is their version of like smack talk. They're just coming at him. They're like, oh, we, we follow Moses. Moses is like the one that we're supposed to follow. You, you're just some simple beggar. You, you don't know who you're talking about, what you're doing. And so they basically just come at him. Then in verse 30, this man, I just picture him kind of stepping back and just looking at them, just kind of like shaking his head like, what? Because in verse 30, he says, this is such an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do any of this. And so this man, he uses this, this argument of logic and reason of saying, have you heard of anyone else, anyone in all of history that's been able to do something this incredible? You yourself just said that you don't believe uh, that sinners are, are heard by God and that he answers their prayer, yet God just used this man to do an incredible thing. And so he's using this, this logic and this reason to come out these Pharisees. Um, but the Pharisees are just so focused on this question of how and less focused on the question of who. But this man, his focus was on the who. He didn't care about how it was done. He cared about who it was that did it. Verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you were trying to teach us. Then they threw him out. Jesus heard that uh, they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. 
I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. They didn't like this man's answer. And so they straight up just throw him out and basically excommunicate him. This man who had just received his sight, who went from a beggar to somebody that had the potential to now have a job, be with his family, have friends, he kind of like regained his social status, is all of a sudden stripped of that again. And he now becomes an outcast. He's not able to see his family, see his friends, get a job. He has now become an outcast. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus came for the outcasts. Jesus found this man a second time, just like that story from John chapter five, but the ending was much different. Once this man realized who Jesus was, he believed and he worshiped him. Uh, Jesus said, verse 39, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of what the Pharisees who were with him heard these things, heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus said, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have sin, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. So we see here where Jesus kind of comes at the um, at these Pharisees. It was not uncommon for them to be around where Jesus was because they were always trying to like catch him in some type of like trap, lie, something that they could use to come at him with. And so uh, Jesus makes a statement, which was, seems to be like contradictory, but isn't. Um, and Jesus basically claims that the reality is, is that you are blind. You think that you can see, but the reality is that you can't. You are still guilty. And Jesus is referring to the fact that they have seen all the evidence that they need that has been put before them in order to believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. Yet they still chose to reject him. They still refuse to believe. And so uh, real quick, why does this story even matter? How does it apply to us today why should we even care about it? And there's two things that I wanna point out. First one, all of us are blinded by sin and all of us have a choice to make. We as fallen sinful people, like we are blinded by sin. But we see how within this story, there are two different responses in the ways that people react to um, who Jesus is and what he's done. The first one is that we see from the Pharisees is that they deny and reject the plain truth of who Jesus is is clearly seen before them. Yet they choose to come up with excuses. They choose to say, oh no, no, we're smarter. We know better. And they end up rejecting. The second is that um, just like this blind man is that he evaluated what was before him and he chose to believe. And I think some of you sitting in this room tonight Jesus has shown himself to you over and over and over and over again. But has the evidence of who Jesus is, what he's done, if that's clearly been laid before you and yet you still choose not to believe, Jesus would look at you the same way as these Pharisees and say, you're blind. God has over and over again revealed himself to us through his word through the way that he cares and provides for us. Yet I think so often our, we get caught in our pride and we say, no, 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 I got it. I'm, I'm good enough. But this blind man, when he encountered Jesus, it was an incredible thing to see how through this story, he evaluates what happens. 
as he is standing and giving testimony over and over again in front of these Pharisees, you see this progression of how he, his faith actually grows in it. Because he starts off as calling Jesus as like, oh, this man that they call Jesus. Then it's, oh, he's a prophet. Then it's, oh, the person that was sent by God. Then it's, uh, no, he's the son of man until finally when he comes face to face with Jesus, he calls him Lord. And he recognizes through this miracle in his life that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And there was just this massive impact that followed. And so the second thing I want you to realize is when you truly encounter Jesus and are changed by him, it affects all areas of your life. This man, his life was turned upside down. Physically, he was healed. His social status changed from beggar to being able to be a part of society back to an outcast. But the most important thing is that he didn't miss out on this opportunity, is that his eternity changed. He didn't settle for just the effects of the good gifts of Jesus. He wanted Jesus himself. And then our, our right response when we're changed by Jesus, our right response shouldn't be, okay, what else can I get for him? Our right response should be, how can I worship him? And that's what this man did. It's his response to Jesus was worship. But I think so many times in our life, we tend to, to hold back from Jesus. We like to put him in boxes and we say, Jesus, you, you can affect this area of my life. I'll give you my church time. I'll give you even maybe um, my time at home or my school. But then we have these areas over here where we say, God, you can't touch this. You can't have this area of my life. Uh, This is my sports time. These are my friends. You can't touch this. God is not meant to be just something that we put in a box that only affects one area of our life. When we encounter, encounter Jesus and are truly changed by him, it should affect all areas of our life. What areas are you holding back from Jesus? What areas are you looking at him and saying, God, you can't touch this. God, you can't have this area. Whatever, while this man like quickly lost, like whatever social status he quickly gained, he received something far greater. He received Jesus himself. And he didn't settle for just the good gifts of Jesus. And so what are you missing out on? Are you missing out on knowing Jesus because of your own pride, because of your own sinfulness, because you, you look at what's laid before you and you choose to, to not accept it, you choose to reject it? Are you missing out on what Jesus has the ability to do in your life when you give him complete control and allow him to come in and take over um, and do an amazing, incredible things? And so um, really quick, I'm gonna pray for us before we go to community groups and discuss this a little bit more. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for Jesus, God. And I thank you that you sent him to, to this earth, God, to uh, completely just come in and take over and change our lives. Lord, I pray that we would choose to see that, choose to believe it, choose to accept it in our life. Be with us as we go to community groups, be with our discussion. Uh, may we just honor and glorify you in all that we say and do. That's my prayer, amen. All right, if you don't know where you're going, uh, come see me and I'll help point you in the right direction.